welcome to How to Waste Your Time, the place where you know if your time was wasted well. Darian Akibato, Holden Hens, how are you doing? <laughs> this is a real mix-up. Uh, I'm doing well, man. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. I, I was actually going to kick us off with one of these because I feel like this is any good podcast starts with a good... Vanilla Coke? No, it's um, Dr. Cream. Pepper and um, cream soda. But you need the noise. I feel like that's a key instrument. Yeah. And, mm, maybe. And opening it reminded me of our um, high school broadcast teacher who, to start every single show, would have to open up a Coke Zero. Yeah. And that, that cracking noise was like, okay, now we can start. Yeah, like, I remember waited, there's like, a few wait. times where it's just like, oh, where's my Coke Zero? Yeah. And it's like everyone's sitting in place. Oh, where's my Coke Zero? Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah. Someone had to run and get it. Yeah. That's a ritual yeah. for sure. And that's that's why I'm ritualizing this uh, Dr. Pepper and cream soda. It's a pretty tasty beverage. <laughs> the Coke Zero's in the wall, dude. Classic. Yes. Yes. We had a, I almost made him the uh, in case of emergency Coke Zero to break. That's how intense the Coke Zero f- phenomenon was. Yeah. Well, regardless, we got a hell of a show for you today. <laughs> um, we're out here um, living our best lives in the month of October. Um, spooktober, bro. Spooktober. We got some spooktober items. I do as well. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely got some good, good spooky things to talk about. Um, some ground cleaning, because uh, that's what it's called, right? Um, so I, we're going to do a new show um, for the How to Waste Your Time Network. Uh, it's going to be called nice, dude. Medium of the Month. And the idea behind Medium of the Month is that I will bring on um, some friend, pal of mine, uh, remotely. And we'll choose one medium that we're going to talk about. And so the, for the first month of November, we're going to be doing movies. And what it is, is me and, uh, spoiler, Michael Moran are going to be choosing one movie for each other that each other haven't seen. And then talking about it collectively on the show. So essentially, at the end of the show, we do the waste cap segment. That was our new segment uh, in episode three. It's going to be the waste cap, but for new um, entertainment. Yeah, more like a specific, obviously a specific topic and probably like one thing. Like if it's movies, it's you're each watching one movie. Right. So we're, we're both choosing something for each other, not talking about it anytime prior, coming to collectively together and then talking about it. So it's kind of a, a fun little expansion of how to waste your time. And it's expected to be shorter. You know, we're going to go for under an hour, hopefully. And uh, just talking about one honed in thing rather than how to waste your time. The actual shows, you know, nine different topics. It's a lot more stretched out. And so this is going to be more honed in. Yeah, maybe one week you'll have a topic that is more specific to you and you'd like to learn more about in depth. Right. No, totally. In a little shorter package. Yes, in a more um, neat wrapped up package. But this show should be shorter. D-Ray has a hard network out at uh, in a, uh, under a couple hours, so this one should be a nice and tight episode for you all that hate the two-hour plus time length. Yeah, eleven forty-five noon time. I'm gone. Won't see me here, dude. He's he's out. Hey, Holden, what kind of movie did you watch this month? Thank you, Darian, for your extremely natural <laughs> question that you asked me. And give me an ask. 
Um, so this month, aka yesterday, um, I, I was struggling to find a movie that I watched recently that I wanted to talk about. I watched a couple. My wife has been choosing movies, so we watched like The Haunted Mansion, which was good. Whatever. Is that Eddie Murphy? Yeah, Eddie Murphy. Nice. He's That's the a good, he's that's the a good reason one. that movie's good. Yeah. Is it, I mean, those two kid actors, I mean, they're popular kid actors, right? Yeah, they're fine. But anyways, fine. not talking about Haunted Mansion, but we did watch it. It was fun. I'd never seen it before. Did you go on the Disney ride before? Yes, we drove to Disneyland, went on the ride, and then we started the movie immediately. I don't even think they're that related. No, I, I think they're roughly related. I think it's more based on, isn't there like a movie from the 60s? And it's kind of like a, Yeah, like that's probably more accurate. Um, all right, regardless, did... That movie is not the movie I'm talking about today. <laughs> uh, so we watched that. We watched a movie in theaters that I just wasn't passionate about. So finally, I kind of convinced my wife to watch um, a, a movie I'd heard a lot about. And because it was, people said it was like a modern horror classic. And it's called It Follows. And the premise of it basically is that it's psychological horror, which is totally my favorite kind of horror. But basically something is being manifested as a human and it will follow you basically it's going to walk directly towards you which is what i like is that it's it's beelining it for you at a walking speed and it's always walking towards you but only you can see it if you're infected basically and so it's always walking towards you but if it touches you or grabs onto you you will die and so you have to kind of triangulate your distance and speed from where the last place you were because it's always walking towards you from the last place you were and so in this movie, you know, she never goes more than like two or three days without it coming to her um, because of where she's driving to and from and whatnot. But I, I really like that that aspect of you are contaminated or infected and only you can see it, but it does exist in the real world. It's just invisible to other people. The STD ghost. Right, right. Yeah, that's that. So you have you seen it? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, so it, it's it's passed on, um, it's transmitted to other people, um, but the most interesting th- part about the movies, I like the like group aspect, is that it's like a team based. So if you if you, the, if you liked the new It, that's probably one of my favorite things about It is that it's like this group of kids that kind of work together and beat a bigger cause, and so that's kind of similar aspect is like. In it follows. It's it's not just this girl running away like in Final Destination. You know, you feel like it's just one person who's inevitably gonna die, and there's nothing they can do about it. It's just no one believes them. But in this case, it's like oh no, it's a group of her friends, her sister, or whatever, and some other people that are kind of working together. And you can see they're all on the same side and work towards a common cause. And- yeah, thinking thinking about that um, specific like construct of it, it's like I don't know if you've seen like Halloween. Yeah. with michael myers yeah it's like the one girl knows that michael myers is after her right. and she and the whole movie she's like trying to convince her friends and stuff like that but her friends end up getting picked off by michael myers because they never believed her that you know michael myers is chasing her right um but this is the opposite and i think that's what kind of made it cooler in the sense that like she did convince her friends and then her friends are convinced to fight alongside her yeah no that's that is definitely like the best part because i think that's how Friday the 13th is too, right? Isn't it like Jason Voorhees is like following yeah. like a group of people? Yeah. And then, but they're all kind of scattermind. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's just a, you know, 
Crystal Lake ghost. It's not going to get me. And then, boom, you dipped your head in liquid nitrogen, smashed over a table. You're goofball. Yeah. So this one's a lot more psychological, a lot more um, thriller based. And it, it doesn't all take place in the dark. It doesn't all, the like the scariest moments and the most tense moments are in broad daylight. Like it definitely flips the switch on that horror aspect. And it's something really fresh, and the music is synthwave, and it's like adds this really nice, like almost eighties aesthetic of like tension, and it's really enjoyable. Like for what it is, I was a big fan of that. I'm not like a huge horror fan by any means, but psychological horror is totally up my alley. Yeah, pretty cool, man. What'd you rate it? I ended up giving it an eighty-four out of a hundred. I think it's That's a pretty great good. movie. Um, there's certainly things as far as well, why doesn't she become a truck driver? then she will never have to uh, deal with it ever again. It will always be buy a one way ticket. Yes. I I don't, I would, but what if it gets on the plane with you is the the scary part. Yeah. You're waiting at your gate and it's like, right. But then again, like would, I guess TSA wouldn't exactly see it. Right. It would just walk through TSA. Yeah. And then, you know, the machine goes off and you're like, Oh wow. And then you you bang on it and it's like, okay, I guess we're good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've been there. What if it walked through the x-ray? Because it does have a like a physical form because he throws like the thing on it. Right, but you the X rays you'd have to like slide through it, and it's like walking the whole time. Mm, so fair. It, it would have to walk through the walk through metal detector, and it, yeah. it might alarm something, but it might not. Sometimes the ghost manifests minimal clothing, so it probably would not have any metal on it. So it might just walk right through. Yeah, or you might get like it might manifest manifest as Usain Bolt. You know what I mean? Taking some wide steps towards you. <laughs> Yes, very well. I don't think he takes wide steps. I think he's just a quick sprinter. True. But, uh, but it could manifest as Andre the Giant. Now that's some wide steps. Mm. That guy, you know that guy's booking it at walking speed? He is, he's moving. For sure. All right, bro. What did you watch? I, I booted up Netflix. Well, first of all, I think my go-to place to like find something good to watch, like especially in in like a... I'm just want to throw something on for the next couple hours is like, I'll always go to um, Reddit and just search through like, you know, whatever film or whatever, like uh, movie things they got. But like Netflix best of is a good subreddit to go on if you want to find some movies and it ended up being Spooktober. Right. The so best like, month. Right. And then I also wanted to watch a horror movie. So I watched uh, The Ritual on Netflix. Um, okay. Never heard of it. Yeah. I've never heard it before. I went on Reddit. Is it a Netflix original? It is a Netflix original. So yeah. basically it's bad. It's honestly pretty good. Mm, I'd be intrigued. The start in like the first half is a pretty basic horror movie kind of setting. Like, you know, it's a few friends in the woods, spooky cabins, uh, bad things happen at night kind of sort of situation. But where it uh, kind of separates itself is the first... I think the first scene or so, um, it's a group of five friends and they're out drinking one night and they're trying to plan a vacation. Um, one friend suggests they go hike in Sweden, I think, or something like that. Just some Swedish Alps hiking. Mm -hmm. But the other kind of guys are older and have families and are married and they're kind of just like, they're over the partying and they're over like the, the hiking. So they're somewhere, they're all undecided. The one friend that suggests hiking, he goes into a convenience store with one other friend. The three other friends wait outside. And then it happened that the uh, convenience store they walked into is being robbed. 
and the two friends, one friend's kind of hides and cowers in the corner while the other friend confronts the robbers and gets his head knocked in with a tire iron, basically. Mm-hmm. And the other friend witnesses. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a group, they decide to spread his ashes on this Swedish hike. Okay. And then the other part that separates itself from like a typical horror movie is that um, most of the horror that they're actually affected by is in their dreams. So when they sleep at night. When they sleep at night is when kind of this, it's described as like a god figure or like a ghost of the woods that they walked through. Basically alters their dreams to past traumas or future traumas. And they technically like see the way they die Hmm. in their dreams. And they basically wake from the dreams like affected by like one guy was like slashed across the chest and the other guy like ended up... uh, watching his wife before he died. So it all affects him during the dreams. Okay. And then the idea is like, oh, we got to walk through the woods to get out of them. That's the quickest way. And soon enough, they're all picked off in the night. But it also, towards the end, it like ties in with this huge cult that worships the god of the forest. And it ends up being like a, a Norse god, which is like something else that's like, kind of different and like I guess something I'm more into in a horror rather than just being like goofy supernatural stuff in the forest ends up being this whole occultist sacrificing these people to this forest god have you seen Midsummer? yeah how does it compare to Midsummer? because I feel like a lot of those vibes you're giving me are similar I think Midsummer is probably um it's it's a bit different because Midsummer definitely deals with like the full occult. You know what I mean? They go straight into the cult and they're basically working their way out of it. Mm-hmm. This movie, a lot of the friend group is picked off before they go into the before they get basically sacrificed to the cult. And they're kind of like the deeper they go into the woods, the further they're basically entering this uh, area where this cult and this god is worshipped. Interesting. I feel like you may have spoiled the entire movie for us, but I still want to see it. It sounds fun. Yeah, I think, uh, but I think what I mostly got out of it is that the four actors for a horror movie have some of the best chemistry I've seen. Hmm. And they're basically four unknowns from probably from UK that, you know, just I haven't seen before in any other movies. And for like a, a group horror film, they're, they're, chemistry on screen is perfect even though they're doing the same things that a lot of other group sized horror movies do they're doing it better because the four people in there have a better chemistry interesting yeah no i think i'd watch that that sounds like a good spooktober 2020 yeah what'd you rate it bro um i gave it the solid 80 80 the the great point oh yeah i think it's it's solid enough to go and recommend to your other friends, but not exactly like I got to write a dissertation about it. Yeah. I like that, bro. What you watch for some television on the telly, bro. I was watching a show on HBO max that I had been anticipating for a long time. And actually I think the final episode aired last night and it would have been great if I would have watched it, but we were watching. It would have been great. would have been great, but I was watching it falls, but it is a docu series called the vow. And it's speaking of cults, it follows a real life cult 
and basically starts from episode one, why it was so great, why these people were in it, because it's all interviewing people who left the cult and kind of were the reason why the cult came down. And that it's a, basically it's a self-improvement group originally. It's just was generically, you go there, you try to make yourself better. Eventually you can become part of the company and you're recruiting people and it's kind of like a pyramid scheme, self-improvement group. You do dissertations, etc. So it's that, it's that cycle, but it brought a lot of happiness, a lot of joy to these people. And then as you went deeper into it, there were groups that were hidden to the widespread. Um, the main group is called Nexium. That's the name of the cult, essentially. Um, and there was a subgroup, subgroup after years of Nexium existing called DOS, Dominant Over sub- Submissive. And it was a all-women group. And or, oh, yeah, dude. in order to join it, you had to uh, get branded on your pelvis in like a group branding ceremony where everybody was naked laying on tables. And, and it wasn't a it wasn't like a brand brand, like where you have it ready to go and you just heat it up and go. Tss. It was a soldering iron of a sort. Oof. And so you're getting cauterized and it took like 30 minutes to make this brand. And it's a very specific brand, which people were told represented like mountains and valleys or whatever but just turns out it was the um the owners or like the founders initials so keith ranieri is the main dude so it has a k and an r kind of like on its side and then it has an a and an m for allison mack and if that name sounds familiar it's because she starred in the show smallville and didn't play lois lane but she paid played clark kent's best friend she's the blonde small chick this is this is after Smallville. She started a cult, right? Well, she participated. She joined this group and then made it the cult, basically. And back in, because Smallville ended in like oh seven oh eight or something, and she didn't really start getting big until the last decade. So from like twenty ten onward, she started promoting. She was so bubbly, so much energy. She kept on getting people to join, and eventually she got deeper and deeper and closer and closer to Keith Raniere, who basically made her like his uh, personal sex slave i don't know nice but basically that group uh, that dos group um in order to join you needed to have collateral which is going to be you saying bad things about your family that may or may not be true just so you have reasons not to join or not to leave basically it's blackmail right extortion and i think scientology does sort of the same thing where you're like oh confess your deepest darkest but then you gotta send like nudes and stuff like things that you wouldn't Oof. want to get out in the public and so you send this all to your master and then you are the literally you call yourselves the slaves but it's like you know oh it's just playful that's how a lot of people thought. <laughs> i'm the slave right i'm the slave you're my master and you report to them every morning every single morning you send them a text you're ma- and you ask master can i eat this master can i blink blank so that this is one small part of nexium but that was the part that blew everything up and one of the guys kind of was getting jaded and he was talking to one of his really close friends who was a female who kind of did all of his teachings with him and was like, hey, um, there's this thing going on in in Nexium called DOS and it's really effed up and um, I think we need to bring light to it. And she was just dead silent. And he was like, yeah, women are getting branded and whatnot. And then she was like, well, what if the said woman were getting this information presented in a different light? And then he was like, are you a part of that group? And she's like, are you recording this? And he's like, yeah. He's like, That's can you stop speaking. recording? And she confesses she's part of the group. And her branding ceremony was uh, like something really powerful and like positive. 
like she was the one who was like supposed to be the leader to come in and like show this because she was like the fourth or fifth one branded and but she was like she didn't wince she didn't cry everyone was screaming and she just went and completely stone-faced it and then left like felting enriched and and the women who get branded her were, were like oh you did a great job like we're so proud of you remember how spiritual and like enlightening and like powerful that moment was for us and so she remembered that kind of fondly even though it was a bad experience going in she kind of literally turned off her psyche and turned off her mind and that's how she came out of it but push comes to shove she's the main reason why keith ranieri is facing like 25 years of life for sex trafficking and allison mack is also like getting charged for the same things keith ranieri is because he she was such a big part of this as well so the nine episode docuseries kind of looks into that looks into uh the way keith ranieri treated women looks into the way of uh, the different subgroups and also trying to get it basically taken down they recorded everything they have so much footage because the main guy mark vicente was came on to nexium to be their like videographer and so he literally filmed everything so he has so much footage of keith so much footage of uh, all the different talkings and meetings and then he recorded everything from like 2018 up till 2020 and this so, is like damning footage that you're like that's in the series um oh uh, yeah a, a lot of it nothing is recorded of dos because obviously he wasn't a part of it because he's a male and it was all female group but it's a lot of the group meetings a lot of keith like talking badly about women um and people just like eating it up and being like oh yeah you're right you know we are weak and we do need to become stronger you know and we need to stop being the victims etc just kind of stuff Keith was a, he was a absolute madman. He would have people work all day and then he had mandatory, nearly mandatory, um, like 2 a.m. around time volleyball sessions. So he would physically exhaust people to wake up at like 6 a.m. on like two or three hours of sleep. Yeah. And it, it's funny that you're like, um, just explaining this, it's all like, I, like, why do you, like, all cults basically, like, do the same thing? You know right. what I mean? It's so totally. interesting that, like, all cults, like, a lot, at least a lot of them follow the same structure of, like, exhausting people out of sleep, um, controlling what they eat, um, controlling, you know, making that power differential of, like, master-slave, and then, like, you know, stealing people's money and stealing people's, basically, you know, blackmailing people. It's, like, all the same for every cult. And it's weird when you're telling me this, it's like, oh yeah, that's a cult. Yeah. Like every little step, it's like, oh yeah, I'm in a cult right now. I should back out. And and the crazy part is those people who have been in there for years, if anybody's like, oh, you are just doing your culty work thing, they'd say, she would literally tell this as her response. Well, if you mean by cult, a happy organization of people that collectively come together with a common mind, then yes, I am in a cult. Like she literally had said that to people and she was just so embarrassed. Like once now outside looking in. But like that's the mindset of people inside cults is like either you're okay with being a cult because you're so happy about how, how the friendship and camaraderie is and you've never had anything closer. Right, to you're your ge- you're getting a, you know, you're you are like getting something from it, whether it be like um, just attention and you're being built up by like cult leaders, but also simultaneously, um, you know, broken down. Right, and that breakdown is huge in this cult in Nexium. And it's really interesting to watch the amount of pure footage they have is really good. He recorded every phone call he had with Keith Ranieri. Like they would call him nightly and they would like, it's, it's insane. I won't even go into any more details because I want you to discover them as you go on. 
it's really worth watching hbo max it's totally finished now go ahead watch it and uh sounds sick dude you won't regret it i gave it a 85 85 because the flow some episodes are better than others i feel like the first like three episodes are really solid there's kind of a dip in the middle when they're trying to collect evidence but like the most recent one episode eight before again i haven't watched the finale but episode eight was was really good episode eight was dope (laughs) yeah yeah i can't can't vouch for nine but episode eight was stellar because like it really touched on like how much of like a sexist human being Keith Raniere was and the women just had to accept it because they, he's like a brilliant man. He's ugly, but he has like an IQ of like 250, you know, like the highest IQ you can have. And so it's like if someone super intelligent is saying, you get me and no one else in this world understands me quite like you do, you feel special. Like, yeah, it's, it's super manipulative, but it's like, it's a, a tried and true practice of cults. Yeah. Nice dude. All right, bro. What, what have you been watching on the, the TV tube? Booted up Netflix X2. Okay, times two. Um, I watched the original series of uh, Netflix original, The Haunting of Bly Manor. Okay, and this is a sequel of something? Um, sort of a sequel. It's uh, The original is Haunting of Hill House, which okay. is another just Netflix horror exclusive 9-ep um, series for Spooktober. Okay. Um, I'll probably preference preference this as I liked Hill House more than I liked Bly Manor, and I would probably highly I would more recommend Hill House than Bly Manor. But Bly Manor was still good. Um, for Bly Manor, it's the I think what they kind of did differently that wasn't as good as Hill House was it's kind of like the uh, storyteller perspective. Is there a narrator? There is a narrator. Hmm. Not not um, constantly. Probably narrates about uh, 20% of the actual series. So like big chunks in the beginning, bigger chunks towards the end. Not ha- having seen it ever, this is kind of what I expected to be like. The Bly Manor was a place of happiness and joy. You're not far off. It's a woman and she's kind of okay. like, let me tell you a ghost story. Hmm. You want a spooky story? Let me tell you a ghost story. You know what I mean? Yeah, it kind of gives me little goosebump vibes. Yeah, but I mean, um, that in itself, um, you kind of, I feel like from like a just a, a general perspective, now you have to, there's so much more you have to resolve at the end because it's someone telling a story. Right. And um, I don't want to give any spoilers, but it's just like, there's so many, it's, it's a character wrap up, basically, the last episode. And because there's a lot of storylines, then? Yeah, there's the storylines, and then the storyteller obviously has to close those storylines. So, right. in a sense, like, I'll, I'll just get to it later. But, like, as far as the horror goes of this show, the horror is kind of on the lower end. Okay. What's, what's scarier? It's more of just like anticipation and, um, your horror through discovery, I guess. There's um a few characters that are like you you experience them finding out that they're ghosts mm. is like a repeating sort of theme Mantra. in Bly Manor. Yeah. So it's like it's it's interesting to I guess the whole premise is that like uh, for some reason in the like 16th century this old lady 
basically defies death when she has tuberculosis or something like that. And death, like as an entity, refuses to come back to Blind Manor. So all who die at Blind Manor never move on to the overworld, underworld, basically. So there's a lot of uh, people accidentally dying or suicides that are just like figuring out that they're dead through them living through like repeating memories at Blind Manor. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I I think this sounds kind of like anthology like series. Yeah. And it, it and then I mean it still has its own characters and mm-hmm. like specific characters that like a specific protagonist that you root for the entire time. But it also like does heavily deal with these other ghost entities that basically live in the manor. Okay, and it's we're talking for as far as paranormal goes, it's pretty much strictly ghosty stuff, yeah? Or yeah. There, okay. Pretty much strictly ghostly stuff. Okay. I was wondering if there was like, if we're getting like into Lovecraft of like. No, not really. No. Different creatures. Um, they're not typical ghosts, if I can say that. They're right. not like, you know, walking through walls like, ooh, you know, wearing a sheet. They're not like typical ghosts of just like a phantom figure. Right. They definitely have some influence in the world, more influence than most ghosts do, and especially more influence on living. Interesting. Um. But I guess past that, the other major, major draw towards this is like the uh, character design, the basically monster design, and like the makeup in the setting. Like uh, they, they pretty much recycle the majority of the set from Hill House. And but the monsters are like so interesting to look at and so interesting and like cool when they like pop up and like you see them and they affect the character and you're like, oh, dude, that dude looks freaking sick and scary, I would be scared. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can always appreciate some good makeup. I feel like that's an underrated place in TV series. Make, makeup, makeup and crew. Yeah, makeup and CG for both Hill House and Bly Manor, Bly Manor like are super great uh, uh, technically. Like cin- cinematographically, like all of it is super, super great. And the settings are super, super great. And especially the, the set itself of Bly Manor and Hill House, super detailed, and you always like get this, you, you get that forced layout, you know what I mean? Like you get the layout of this, you know, giant mansion and you know, like where, where the ghosts hang out in your own head. And when like characters are creeping through at night, like it's, it's really interesting. That's really interesting. How interesting was it on a rating out of a hundred? Um, I give it the solid 78. Um, like this season specifically by manner, I, I would recommend it, but I would go in. Like I said, Hill House is a better version of it. And especially towards this one being it like the storyteller version is they have to close so many storylines and it basically took up the last two episodes of a nine episode series. And it just, you know, it kind of fluttered out and lost me towards the end. Instead gotcha. of like whereas Hill House ended on a big, huge like victory. Right. But not even that much of a victory because a lot of the characters ended up passing. But like at least in Hill House, at least in like Bly Manor, it just kind of like finished this storyline, finished this storyline, finished this storyline happily ever after. And it was kind of like a, it was definitely a pulled punch. So watch Hill House first and then Bly Manor if you're still on board. If you're still interested, definitely. Okay, I like it. All right, bro. In the sports world, um, I guess I should preface this. I'm cheating a couple times this week. This is my show. Uh, so I get to bend the rules as much as I want. Go for it. So. I'm going to be talking about something called Blaseball. 
And uh, for starters, it's it's not a sport. It's a splort. Which... <laughs> Is that their tagline? <laughs> I, well, it's one of the oldest sports of all time. Um, oldest splort? Oldest splort of all time. I, you probably have to define that. Um, I, I The game takes place in an alternate world. So you can't... The, Let's just let's back up. Let's back, back it back, up. Back, back, back it, it up. up. Back it up. So, Blazeball at its core in season one was a online fictional betting game. So, a la Salty Bet, which was a Twitch watching series where you could watch f- fictional fighters um, from this video game. So essentially, you could have Ryu versus Mario, or well, that exists in Smash. Let's go more. <laughs> let's go crazier. Smash you, Ultimate is technically salty bed at this point. You could go um, Homer Simpson versus Ronald McDonald, and then you would bet on it who you think would win that fight, and that's what salty bet was. It was all fictional coins and money. You'd make money based on who won, what, whatever. Yeah, or like Dracula versus um, like something. Some 2D character, you have no idea who that is. Right. And there are certain rules that, like, you would always always bet on, like, the small robot characters and always bet on waifu, which would be, like, the, the anime female characters because they're, like, super powerful and over, overpowered and you wouldn't know that unless you had, knew these rules. So that's kind of... Salty Bet established this fictional betting system. Blaseball is similar where you're betting on these teams. Um, I guess I was explained there's 20 different teams. Um, that don't exist. That don't exist. Fictional teams such as the San Francisco Lovers, the Kansas. <laughs> That's so good. Dude. The, the the Kansas City uh, Breathments, um, the Miami Dale, uh, the Dallas Stakes. My personal favorite, not my team, but my favorite is the Charleston Shoe Thieves. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, but my team is the Hawaii Fridays. Um, so twenty teams. And they play every hour on the hour. So the start of every hour, they play a game. The seasons last one week. Um, they play during the week, the regular season. The weekends are playoffs and the championship. That's how season one started. It was just that. Then... What what game did they actually play? Like, how do they score and how do they win? Um, so they it, it's all simulation baseball. So it's okay. like you're on blazeball.com, you're scrolling down, you're seeing, oh, you can watch all 10 games at the same time if you want, if you scroll fast enough. It'll just give quick updates of like, oh, Everton McBlaze hit a first hit a first uh, single, hit a single. And then you'll, it'll show like the little diamonds and he's on the single, you know. Gotcha. He's on the first base. And so it shows that and then it has the outs count, it has the 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 pitching uh, like, a, like a regular baseball like game a cast totally regular baseball game cast okay so you would, just like you would watch on espn and that's how season one was tons of fictional players it would say who's at bat every player has nice. different stats so it's like oh if um this pitcher is playing oh they're probably gonna win and so that would influence your bets and so it's like it, it tells you already already has a calculated percentage who's gonna win so it's like this team has a 65% chance to win, usually because their pitcher that's playing that game is a lot better. I think it's just one pitcher playing the entire game. Or, oh, wow. Or their team is uh, just has better batters. And that's how season one was. But the thing that makes baseball special is at the end of every season, the players, people at home, can vote on how the rules change. 
and <laughs> and uh, so at the end of season one, they voted to open the Forbidden Book. And uh, because they did that, they entered in season two, the discipline era, where they were going to be disciplined by the baseball gods for opening the book. And by opening the book, eventually, as the season went on, more and more things happened, uh, such as umpires were able to get basically laser eyes and incinerate players, where they would get uh, incinerated batters and uh, only in solar eclipse weather. And and they would disappear and be replaced with alternate versions, which are usually worse versions, but sometimes better. So, you know, your favorite player might get incinerated by the umpire. Or uh, certain players might... Eventually, people voted for peanuts. It just said peanuts. It didn't, it didn't explain anything. It just said peanuts. And so the, the curiosity and the mystic to it is what draws people in. And so they voted for peanuts. Like A lot of the stuff is very vague as, as the seasons go on. And what happened with Peanuts is that the Peanuts gods came down to the, the world of baseball and started to shell players. So your favorite best players might become shelled and they're in, encased in Peanuts and they're no longer on your team because they're encased. But uh, one player from the... Uh, the team was the Los Angeles Tacos. Then there was the great the Grand Unslam. They become the Unlimited Tacos. It's, there's a lot of lore <laughs> to it. But one player for the Unlimited Tacos unlimited tacos his name was sexton weirer and he was the first player to become de-shelled in bird weather so the birds pecked him out of the shell and then he was the tacos only pitcher so for all of season the last season season 10 he was their only pitcher and he pitched every single game and so he was every single game in all 90 games he was the only the only pitcher left because all the other pitchers i think were encased in in nuts so as you can see, this gets really wild, really <laughs> wacky. What what do you bet on? Is it just the over under on the games or no, the, it's just the entire gonna, season? It's just who's going to win every single game. Okay. So it's every hour on the hour they play the games, right? So after all the games are done, which games take up about you know fifteen to thirty minutes, if some go into extra innings, we've seen some really long ones. Right, and it's like oh, you know, ultimate tacos have you know twelve percent on the shoe stealers. I'm going to take the ultimate tacos. Um. What it is, is it's 65% and 35%. So it's always going to be 100%. Oh, okay, okay. So it's like, this is their percentage of, of winning and versus the other team's percentage of winning. So it's always... Is there, is there a chance for an upset? Yeah, ups, that's upsets like where, happen. That's where, that's where the odd rules come from, is like maybe the higher percentage team gets, what was it, evaporated by laser yes. umpire eyes? Yes, well, certain pitchers in bird weather, if, they're, if they have the... Basically, if, it's like an RPG. If they have the right. Friends of Crows buff... Right. then crows can come down and strike on the player and get them out like on the pitcher if the, if certain uh sorry if certain pitchers have that buff then the batters will get striked down by crows and they'll get out so it's like okay. that's a way that bad pitchers can can win games because they in bird weather so okay then that was that was last season they've got rid of bird weather now since in season 11 thank goodness thank goodness bird weather it was it, it helps it helped for betting i liked seeing who had friends of crow's buff and being like oh yeah that's they're gonna upset for sure so there's like little nuances oh bird weather at 9 a.m dude i'm in right right guaranteed uh, some ravens coming down so there's a lot of small nuances and things that make it um special and fun the lore is huge and like i said we're only in season 11 we just started season 11 today so it's only been going on for 11 weeks it's just been a cultural phenomenon like over the past 11 weeks that's crazy and it's gotten like 20,000 people on board, like in the Discord, because that's where a lot of it happens. Is you're in the Discord chat, you're talking to your team, 
deciding on what your team wants to vote on specifically to make your team better because there's decrees and blessings decrees change the entire game blessings just benefit your favorite team and so i talk with my fellow hawaii friday fans and discuss on what's best for our team so baseball it's a cultural phenomenon it's I, who knows how long it'll exist for but it's growing rapidly in size and it's very fun the biggest downfall is it's a tough to get into and be very lore heavy so right now if you wanted to get into baseball you would have to watch a probably 10 minute recap of the past seasons of the past 10 seasons and then you'd start into season 11 and you would jump into season 11 and say to yourself now how do i keep up yeah how do i bet what the what are the current rules how are they affecting players right and so you would follow the the baseball Twitter and you'd be on Discord and that's how you'd receive your information. You can always ask questions on Discord if anything's uh, unsure like how did this player come back? I thought they were shelled. How did we end the discipline era, etc. People will answer those questions. There's like a little questions uh, channel, but things happen so fast like you could you could be gone for 4 hours and the entire baseball has changed. But then you could sleep overnight 4 hours and nothing Right. So it's like certain things happen in sporadic moments and you don't know when they're going to happen. That's the biggest downfall of it all is that it's tough to keep up because I literally got into this last week and I've been trying to keep up all week. And are, are you up or down? What do you mean? As far as your betting? I mean, I'm up. I mean, it's very easy to be up. You just bet on favorites, like high favorites. So if you have 65% chance of win, you're almost guaranteed to win. So you can bet like 980 coins or whatever. And it's all fictional money. No, you can't yeah. use any real money. But uh, yeah, I'm, I've got like 15. All a Sati bet? Yes. I have 1,500 coins right now. And I just, usually I bet all my money every single time, just on like four or five different games. And I'm guaranteed. It's, it's uh, hedging your bets. Yeah, max it, max betting on these high percentages. Right. And you start off with your max bet being 20. And then you can spend at the shop. You can keep on, get you get something called snake oil and you keep increasing it incrementally. So it's like you get to see what your max bets get to increase to. And now eventually, I think the, the highest max bet is 1,000. So you go from 20 coins to 1,000 coins. Okay. Max bet. So you incrementally increase your max bets. And uh, it's it's a rewarding, fun little mini game within it. But the lore, the community, and the cultural phenomenon is kind of what makes it great. Sounds like a great time waster, bro. <laughs> it is definitely a time waster. That's why I'm just in and out every once in a while. But I mean, it literally takes three minutes to make your bets on the hour. And so if I'm like, if I remember, oh, the hour is coming up, let me just make my quick bets. Right. And that's, you know, that's that. But then you hop on the Discord every once in a while. And I'm not that deep into it. But I do like the idea of the lore and of certain players coming back. And like certain players aren't even humans. Some are like, one's like a penguin named Gunther. Like one is like a hamster. One's like a centaur. Like there's a lot of different, it takes place in an alternate world. And because certain pitchers have you know, hundreds of fingers that helps their pitching rating. Right. There's a lot of small little details and minutia to it, but it's fun. It's cool. It's a cultural phenomenon. It's happening right now. I recommend checking out, join a team. It honestly does sound fun. Yeah. Sounds, sounds interesting. Yeah. Just, just pick, you pick your team and you go for it and just have fun with it. It, It's really not that serious. It's just all about good vibes, having fun and kind of getting, being a part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. I gave it a 75. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds fun, but it also does sound like a, there's a barrier of entry for sure. Yes, yes. You need to watch that. 
video beforehand, like a season 10 recap. There's even a really good video put out by, um, you don't watch board game videos, but there's a company uh, called Shut Up and Sit Down. And one of the guy's names is Quince. And he has another um, Games Made Daily, I think. And um, he made a video just uh, over the weekend. And it's really good. And he was really like, he put so much time and effort into it. He was so worried that someone would make a good like baseball explanation video before he got hits out. And he's like, thankfully no one else did because there are no good explanation ones of what it is. And so he did a really good job. It's like 15 minutes and it's fun to watch too. I cool, cool. That. All right, bro. Now that we're done talking about the baseball gods being displeased, <laughs> uh, what sports on your mind? Uh, NBA finals, baby. Yes. The uh, Lakers won the championship with an asterisk next to it, right? As number 17, baby. Yeah. Well, maybe 16.5. 16.5. So, I mean, not that everyone, you know, watched the finals, but we do know who won. Um, possibly the biggest team in the NBA. Uh, possibly. Shout out to my boy, AD. Shout out to my boy, LeBron. Uh, what Rondo dropped like 20-something points in the last game. It's freaking gnarly. Did you text him? Did you say, thanks, Ron, Ron? Hey, thanks, Ron, Ron. You're my favorite point guard. I, would, I wouldn't I would trade anyone for you. Even though they're talking about CP3 coming and you leaving, I would, I would say no to that. Even though they're talking about everyone's contract ends basically in 2021 and 2022, we want a three-peat, baby. Three-peat. Oh, yeah. Well, that's not going to happen when, um, you know, other good players like uh, Steph Curry and uh, a, a little little guy named Kevin Durant are playing in the finals. But Kawhi, you know, they're, they're, it. this is basically what I wanted to bring it up for is like I I threatened to put an asterisk, asterisk if Portland won. Right. Obviously, I'll accept the asterisk if L.A. won. L.A. did win. But why? Why? What? What's the reason for the asterisk? I say I would say mine was because I was just salty that um, uh, basically a lot of people were like, um, Ellie's going to get shot down by the Heat. Ellie's going to get shot down by the Clippers, and then they're going to get shot down by Brooklyn, and then they're going to get shot down by Portland. Everyone said that. You know what I mean? It, basically, everyone um, lifted these titans against LA, and they just played awful playoff series. Whereas LA clearly played the best playoff series, so I just wanted to I wanted to get a, the opposite perspective of why LA gets an asterisk on their seventeenth title. Oh, so you're asking me? I'm asking you. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Uh, yeah, the reason why they have an asterisk is because th- this is a modified season. I think any modified season that isn't the standard eighty-two game length should have an asterisk next to it. So even in like 2011, when it was the sixty-game season or whatever. That is a certain circumstance that changed. Um, the bubble was very big asterisk because many players didn't come to the bubble. And if the season would have taken place over regular time, the outcome would have been different. So if everything is normal, I think that is a standard championship. If the season gets changed by more or less games, uh, things being altered, that's what makes it an asterisk championship. Um, in this scenario... Um, a lot of teams didn't even get to play in the bubble. The The season got shortened. So teams that may have had a late season run never got the opportunity. Players who could have got injured on while flying never got the opportunity because they were all in one spot. There was no home color advantage. You're all playing in the same place. You could have, I mean, you could say 
there's no fatigue or whatever because they had so, such a long period of rest. But you could see possible fatigue of having. Uh, I, I mean, I saw noticeable fatigue in right. in a few teams in in certain in that atmosphere. You know, you, you certain players thrive in that atmosphere. You saw some bubble players blow up. Right, but you could have like you could be in the playoffs, have one bad game, you get two day rest, and come back and have another bad game. Right, and then you're like, oh crap, I hate playing here. Like, yeah, I hate playing in this one yeah. gym that we're all playing all of our games for the entire time I've been in the bubble. Like, yeah. That can absolutely happen. And so that's the biggest reason it's Asterix Championship. Not to mention, and I, I will leave out my personal bias, that the Lakers had the easiest route to possible. Granted, these teams played well, but you know they didn't have to play Kawhi. You know, they didn't have to play teams that match up well against them. They didn't have to play Dallas Mavericks. They ended up playing the Blazers instead, which could have been different if there was a normal, you know what I mean? So, Ar- Arguably, the hardest matchup was the Heat. For sure. Well, yeah. I mean, they won the most games on them. But even then, then, you would be like, well, I feel like... Yeah. I Dragic, like I- Dragic got injured. Um, Bam got injured. Right. Very early. And then, you know, but Lakers think, go up by two. Personal matchup-wise, you know, I feel like they would have a tougher time against the Bucks or something. You know, who's who's guarding Giannis, you know? Uh, LeBron, AD. They're both guarding Giannis. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no, no. Not, not LeBron. He'll cross up LeBron. But I'm just saying, there's there were teams that were worse matchups for them that they just simply avoided because of the bubble and because of the way that the playoffs worked out, which is fine. That's how playoffs works. You can avoid playing the best teams, whatever. That's what was just my personal bias towards the Lakers having an easy stomp. The Portland Trailblazers, my team, matches up terribly against the Lakers. We all saw that. <laughs> I get it. But uh, the main reason it's asterisk is because it is different. And it, and it does create a different outcome than if it was played at its norm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely guess I understand all that. But the there's a specific phrasing that you said that like, oh, they didn't have to face Kawhi. Bro, Kawhi, that was, that was my bias. He, Kawhi couldn't even face Kawhi, bro. He failed in the in the playoffs. I saw. Right. So it's like in in some sense, it's like I get it. Um, there's there's 100 percent. There's better matchups against L.A. Like without a doubt, like the Nuggets, bro. Come on, yeah, the Nuggets is that. That's a joke of a series. You know the Nuggets I mean? was booty. Like they, they like they crossed their fingers their way into the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, they even they had you know some previous good looks prior. You know what I mean? And it was just one of those things where it's like, what who they play Milwaukee before they got to L.A. or the, no, it's Eastern. They played uh, Dallas, or then they played Utah. They played Utah. They played Utah. They played the Jazz. Okay, yeah. So they were just having bad games. You know what I mean? But they're still a good team. Um, what the? It's just it was just a lot of like, oh, this person had a bad day on game two, mm-hmm. and they brought that mentality into game three, and then had another bad game. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you want to say like, oh, this person's supposed to be LA. This person's supposed to be LA. They couldn't even, you know, if they can't. Right. the competition before they can't be mentally strong enough to beat that competition how are you going to go into the finals with la no i got it loud and clear bro your team won i'll, I'll accept i'll accept it because yeah you you're totally right that it's a shorter season and everything like that and people being injured on their way there is ridiculous but home, home t- but i'm saying home field away yeah home field away no travel, no travel. It's, it's very different you're you're gonna be out of whack for sure yeah it's a very different it's, so, it's a completely different 
phenomenon in sports. And anything that would alter the sports to your favor was kind of taken out of it. And so really it just came down to who has the most pure skill in like when you have LeBron, when you baby. Have the number one player in the NBA, LeBron, and arguably maybe the number three player in the NBA, Anthony Davis on your team. Yes, those two players are the most two talented players to be together in the NBA. So yes, when they're together and then we have the chemistry flowing and working, which they did consistently, yes, they're going to stop teams. Right. It's just funny. Like I'm seeing like Giannis and Zion superstars are going to take the series by storm. And then they just like, boop, they're out like round two, round three of the playoffs. Freaking goofballs, man. Yep. So I see that you, um, NBA finals gets a 90. I see that you really enjoyed the finals. That's what I was going to say. Of course. All right, moving on to anime. Anime. What anime have you been watching? Um, booted up Netflix X3, my dude. It's the month of Netflix. Definitely. Um, you recommended me, well, me and my brother, The Great Pretender from Netflix. Yes, a and Netflix when, original anime. Netflix original anime, The Great Pretender. And anytime that someone says, go into this blind, no prior knowledge of this series it's that's that's a level of excitement like you're you're very you're being very specific that's a level of excitement for this and i always respect that and i went in blind and i think it's just probably one of netflix's best anime originals hands down yeah i i started watching it because we both we should preface this we've both only watched four episodes so we've just watched probably about out of 12 so that's the first quarter so we haven't seen it to the end. We can't really vouch for that. But those first four episodes or so are really, really good. Really strong. Really just a big opening. Um, I'll probably speak on like just to get, get the credentials out the way. The art is really good. The sounds are exceptionally good, especially the soundtracks because it's, it's very different. It's very song to song. It's very different. And then also just like a jazz opening, you got me hooked. Right. Without a doubt. Right. So go ahead. What, what is the kind of the plot or premise of it? Um, the plot or premise is like it starts off and you're following this younger guy, a uh, younger Japanese lad, and he's sort of a con man pickpocket. And one one day he's strolling through the market and ends up trying to pickpocket another con man. And he you know pulls the double switch and steals all the money from the Japanese con man. And basically, they get into this uh, basically feud of, um, you know, you owe me this money, you owe me that money. Let's just work together and make more money, sort of situation. Right. And Whereas in the the uh, French con man, the blonde guy, he basically cons the other guy into working for him. Right. Right. It's a very long con, and both are very talented con men. But it's it's they're both trying to outdo each other a little bit. But the Japanese con man is very young and. He's kind of getting his backstory of why he's being a con man and etc. Yeah. So and he's like he's more naive definitely, and he has to leave Japan basically because he's wanted by authorities in his area. Right. So he comes to America, and the uh, the other con man is French, and so there's some interesting uh, small details going on because they're in America. Their their shared language is English, even though they're know, both foreigners. They're both foreigners, and so they're kind of using that to their advantage. They're both foreigners, kind of trying to trick Americans. And that's kind of where the show. Yeah, goes I think off. in in that first episode, there's very something very specific in the language that happened. So basically, in the first like probably like 10, 15 minutes of the first episode, 
um, the like like you said, their sh- their shared language is English, but they're both foreigners, so they're both talking with a heavy accent, one Japanese and one French. And then after that, they both kind of like it was like a it was almost like a pause, and it was like the narrator was like, now they will both be talking in everything spoken from now on will be directly translated into English, and they both just lost their accents right so they're they're speaking in japanese and so yeah yeah, for convenience of anime which is kind of cool because a lot of times when um in anime when people try to speak english uh it's very broken they don't actually get english actors per se usually they get japanese people who can speak a little bit of english and it's very broken and which is no fault it's definitely blended yeah it's no fault of their own yeah but it's just it was an interesting choice to go back from uh yes everything they're saying canonically is in english because they're in america and that's their common language together but now they're just going to be speaking in japanese for us at home because that's you know so it's, it's better for japanese watchers yeah which was a very interesting specific choice yeah and it's it's definitely not a choice that i've ever seen before in anime and i thought I, it was helpful you know what i mean it was just purely helpful for the sake of like watching a show better because you do you do get the sense that um you know, language is a, is probably one of the hardest things for audiences to get out of anime. So, like, when you do, like, that hard switch of, like, these are two, like, introducing these two characters as foreigners in the foreign land. Yeah, I really liked it. The reason why I, I recommended it so strongly is because it has such a good vibe and atmosphere, and it just hits the ground running. So, we'll see if it uh, yeah. pans out. I think we'll finish it next month. Yeah, if, then- if I were to give it to any, like, um, similarities, like, I do get a lot of uh, the jazziness makes me think of Cowboy Bebop. And then also the crime and con makes me think of a Lupin as well. So it's definitely along those same lines. And I wouldn't be far off to say they probably took some inspiration from those like massive, massive properties. Right. And the closing track is Freddie Mercury singing The Great Pretender. Like it's such a great like way to close. And it's so powerful. And I feel like the show has a lot of heart, surprisingly, for being kind of like a goofy, con man-y type show. Um, and I, I really recommend it for anyone who wants to try to find a new anime that is well produced. Yeah, I don't know why I rated 90 on the notes. I, it's probably closer to like a 85. 85, okay. 84, maybe. Yeah. I, Just because I, I haven't seen right, a lot of it. Right. No, I think I think it has definitely has potential to be that 90 masterpiece level. Yeah, seeing how far farther down it goes. It's a lot of, I mean, 12 episodes. I mean, there's a lot going to happen. There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot going to happen, but it's got, I got a lot of good momentum. And as long as it keeps it up, I think it could reach that 90 for me. Yeah, for sure. What I mean, did you watch? So here's another one of these uh, rule bending um, mechanisms because I'm uh, the uh, host and creator of the show. Uh, so, At me, dude. Uh, I didn't, I, I didn't really, I made an active choice not to watch anime this month. Because instead, I wanted to focus on Star Wars Rebels, which is 100% a cartoon. It's not an anime, but this is a good place to put it because I've been watching a lot of it. So I watched the first two seasons of Star Wars Rebels. And essentially, for anyone who's unfamiliar with it, it takes place in between episodes three and four. It is a group of all original characters who kind of, uh, before the Rebel Alliance even is really formed, they are rebellions of the empire uh, and the empire is in full swing and control of everything. Um, it falls around a Jedi or ex Jedi named Kanan, um, who was uh, trained under Yoda, I think, or he had some kind of 
some kind of relation. Relation to Yoda, because he references him a few times. But he's definitely was in hiding because of Order 66 to kill all the Jedi. Execute Order 66. Right. So, he's, he's it's his group, but the interesting part about this ragtag group is that each one of its members are super interesting. They pick up a young boy named Ezra, who also has uh, you know powers in the Force and eventually becomes a Jedi as well. You find that out real early, so this isn't spoilers. But it has Sabine, who's a Mandalorian, so she may or may not be appearing in the Mandalorian uh, show. We don't know yet, but that's another reason why I wanted to watch it. That's around the same timeline, right? Uh, actually, so I think the Mandalorian takes place after um, episode six, but the span between episode four and six is pretty short. I think it. I think it takes like five years to get from four to six. So, yeah. So it's only I think you know some ten years later. But Sabine, she's a Mandalorian. Um, she's part of their group. Uh, Yara, Yara, she's a pilot who is a Twi'lek with the the long strands. I, I'm getting a little bit of a look of I'm losing you here in the Star Wars lore. Mm, no, I mean you're talking, uh, you know, the regular. What's the other Star Wars series? What's her name? She's trains under Anakin. Uh, Ahsoka. Yeah, Ahsoka. She, but, I don't think she's a Twi'lek. I don't see now I'm losing myself nah, in, the, yeah, in, the, yeah. in the, in the lore. Um, and then like I said, Kanan and they have like a, a, an alien that I've never seen before. Cause I think he's the last of his kind. His name is Zeb and he's got this really cool like body and really cool design. And they have a little droid named uh, chopper. And so it's this ragtag group of rebels kind of in the first season, they're doing their own thing. The Empire's chasing after them, but they're also just trying to be basically thorns in the sides of the empire. And yes, it is a children's show. It's Y7. It's not even TV14. But it is very... seven-year-olds, bro? Well, it just was in design for them. But the writing is superb. It's Dave Filoni, the same guy who uh, wrote Clone Wars, same guy who wrote uh, a lot of stuff for Mandalorian and directed a few episodes. So he's got his hand... He basically is George Lucas Jr. And he's got his hand all over the Star Wars Disney universe right now. Definitely a trusted figure as far as writing. Right, because he literally did work hand-by-hand hand with George, and he is the encyclopedia of Star Wars knowledge. And so if anything's going to be like legit, it's going to be through him and with him. And so he's he's a big part of this, but the writing's super solid. It's fun. It's good characters, good chemistry. And eventually in season three, which I haven't got to yet, they're going to introduce um, a guy named Thrawn, who I bought a book of. And I, I don't really read books, but I've been reading his book. kind of talks about his um, origin story. And so it'll be interesting to learn more about Thrawn because I'm reading about him. But uh, overall, it's just something I wanted to get into. I wanted to prep for Mandalorian, which is at the end of this month. Thirty mm-hmm. or twenty three. I think October thirtieth is going to be the season two nice. premiere. Really looking forward to because Mandalorian is probably one of my favorite things about Star Wars I've ever seen. Other Post than those movies, right? Well, I mean, I like Mandalorian more than some of the movies, hands down. Yeah, probably. Um, I I, I loved Rogue One. That was probably my. F- favorite thing they've done in the past 20 years and mandalorian is really close up there yeah definitely so i just felt like it's good prep work rebels is really good writing it's a lot of fun it's a lot better than expecting i was really wanting new characters in that star wars universe that aren't overpowered jedi you know even kanan he's a jedi but you could tell he's not the world's strongest jedi he's just someone who was in training yeah i know i remember watching even some uh star wars clone wars the animated series and you know Enjoying that. That's like a, 
you know, I think they just had a new season or something right. earlier they just this year. Did the final season this year. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of like if it true, like bigger Star Wars fans that are more into it will definitely be watching things like Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah. And I would, ha- I would heavily recommend Rebels to anyone who just wa- is itching for more Star Wars because it's good. It's, it's certainly something that is worth the time put in and it may be good investment if it's extra lore for Mandalorian because I imagine if you like Star Wars you're watching Mando if I mean if you're watching TV at all right now you're probably watching Mando it's been yeah, a huge cultural huge. phenomenon for sure what'd you rate it uh right now I got Rebels at a 90 I, I don't know how season there's two more seasons three and four but the first two seasons are really good it's only getting better the little like background episodes to each character really good they keep introducing new stuff and it's all really smart writing a lot of fun and it and it gets that that highs of the Star Wars universe that I love and everything that I really enjoy about the Star Wars, which is basically all the small stuff that surrounds the universe, surrounds the Skywalker saga, it touches on those. And I mean, yes, it incorporates some stuff with Darth Vader and whatever, but just incorporating all the little extra planets and all the side stuff like how Mandalorian does, Rebels does that really well. Nice. Moving on to video games. What have you been playing? So on my PC, I have Xbox Game Pass, which is basically you receive all the Xbox first party exclusives and they have some third party stuff that is hooked up to it and you get those games. And it's basically Xbox Game Pass. I don't know if I explained it here before, but it's like the Netflix for video games. You just pick a game, download it, and then you play. That's it. And it's 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 all collected one. Does it, does it cost money? Yeah, it costs uh, I think ten bucks a month, which so isn't like bad. a typical you know, uh, gaming monthly payment. Right, but it's good because it has this huge library. Games are coming in and out, so eventually games will leave, but you just play them while they're there. Whatever it's and for this specific case, it's a game I never would have heard of unless I got the notification on my phone saying you can play I can fail, and I was like, what is I can fail? So I booted up my Xbox thing. I took a look at that and it looked like to me this turn-based RPG that looks like um, Earthbound. Like you're kind of traveling around with a group of friends walking around turn-based. But then I saw the combat and the combat is, yes, turn-based, but it is grid. So you're moving your character a certain amount of distances and you're taking turns. But uh, it's also timing-based like Paper Mario. So if you click A, essentially, I'm using an Xbox controller. If you click A at the perfect timing, you get greats, and greats will do extra damage. It's only on every single attack that there's a certain spot where your greats can hit. If you miss it, you'll get an oops, and then you'll do minimal damage. The same thing on defense. If you, if you press A right at the time of getting hit you get great and it'll do a lot less damage. If you don't, then you'll get oops. And then there's something in the middle, which is nice, which is kind of like your buffer. Oopsie boopsie. So you got oops for max damage against you. Nice for deflecting some damage and then great is like minimal damage. So it's just like Paper Mario because I believe that's how it works on that timing-based system. But it's this sprite-based, basically looking like Earthbound. Is it? Have you played Fire Emblem? Yes, I've played so Fire like- Emblem. Which is like grid. Which is 100% uh, like a tactical RPG, I think, tactical yeah. RPG. And that's 100% grid-based. 
which is what like war group is like you're moving units on a, on a grid and that's the entire gameplay everyone has a different type of movement right whereas Eichenfell is like you are moving with your group in this overworld and then you go into combat like you choose to go into combat it's not random encounters okay you choose to go into combat so there's no random encounters you just walk up to people and then you enter that combat zone and it's not like a it's a more of like a horizontal grid so it's like i think it's like three lanes wide or yeah wide and then long it's like you know like 16 15 so it's more like a rectangle and that's your kind of your grid that you're um going on but there's lots of different ways you can interact with that grid certain characters have traps and so if you step on that trap you're gonna get lit up and you can't use your action so you move use your action and it's just like a rpg turn-based like that you have items that heal and whatnot but it's interesting enough with i love the timing base like paper mario paper mario is one of my favorite games and not a lot of games have scratched that itch i love the sprite base looking art style because it adds for a lot of cool effects the writing is a lot of fun i'll get into the plot in a second but the music is really special too because it combines both of that um chiptune like bit style of like the snes and it actually incorporates real instruments like strings and harps and violins and stuff mm-hmm. that guitars acoustic guitars and singing so it incorporates a lot of like real live instruments with that chiptune kind of noise and so it breaks through that when people have to do bit style they think oh this is how i have to make the music it's like no it's a fusion of modern and is that legend of zelda i think so it was a good attempt but yes like that's that's how the original one was and this game has a lot of those cool instruments and boss fights have like really powerful good songs and the basic plot is you are playing someone's sister who goes to this like witch academy and she's gone missing and you're looking for her and you didn't have powers your whole life that's why you didn't go to this witch academy you didn't have any magic or whatever but she did and so you stumble in the opening minutes you basically have to work your way into Eichenfell, which is the witch academy and you discover that you do have a power and it's fire and people are like well no one we've never seen fire magic before this big kind of boom happened and people started to get more powers and that's where the story takes you and so it's very similar to do you like say like pick up and drop characters from your party like a typical like rpg like that your, your party definitely grows and then you can only have three and fights at a time but uh you just kind of choose but everyone gets xp even if they're not in the fights okay cool but can they can they die like a typical rpg too like that um no i think if anyone if anyone hits zero they just get knocked out and of, then, of the fight of the fight okay and then if any, if all three hit zero then i think you just go back to the last save point so it's definitely trying to um promote a streamlined experience uh and focus more on story because the story is very heavy uh, not heavy, but they, they do a lot of different talking and character building, which is fun because all the characters are smart. And I haven't f- finished it yet because it's a longer game, but I have put in about 10 hours on it over just this past like two weeks. And it's really smart. I have kind of a theory of where it's going to go, and I hope it pays off because it, it if my theory is correct, then this will be a very genius plot I, I might i might be hyping myself up too much being like oh if they do this it's gonna be so smart i figured it out i figured it out and then if they don't do it i'm like well why didn't they do what i wanted yeah. you know which you can fall prey to in any 
movie game or anything but when you invest so much time into like a game or something it's like oh this is how it has to end if it's gonna yeah. be good so i've kind of put myself in a corner there but overall it's a lot of fun the timing based system is what makes it good and it's just a really cool concept executed really well and it's nearly a masterpiece for me right now i have it at 89 if it does end really well i think that i could bump that up to a 90 it's nice. nearly a masterpiece that sounds pretty interesting yeah i think you'd like it i i don't know I, I mean, Xbox Game Pass is definitely something that's probably worth the investment. I mean, clearly worth the investment if right. you can get a few games. A few games a month would be, you know, great right. for 10 bucks. Right. 10 bucks a month for paying for games that you would have spent 60 bucks on, especially a lot of those first party type stuff. And when we have PS4s and not, we, I don't, like, I don't own an Xbox. Right. Right. I, I don't own an Xbox One either, but I just did it because I built my PC. I got it for free at the start. And right. Then, and then I'm like, well, if I want to play Halo with friends. It's it's just this makes, is the only way. This is this is the way. Got him, dude. All right, dude. In the video game landscape, what have you been playing? Um, downloaded a free to play Switch game. That's that's the uh, famous last words. Yeah, maybe, maybe of, not of of anyone. Um, Vigor, which is a first person. Mm, I guess you call it. It's a, it's a duel. Like you walk around and move through the world. Vigor. Walk around, move through the world in third person, but you can aim down sights in first person and shoot, okay, basically. A little bit of a hybrid. Yeah, definitely a hybrid. But um, I think the main draw is like it, it honestly is a lot of game and a lot of in a pretty sizable community. Um, the first beta of the game on PC came out in like 2018. Um, it came to Xbox in like 2019. And then just now this year came onto the Switch. And I guess you should, you should preface this with, uh, which is my favorite word of this podcast. Every episode has a different um, preface. F- favorite word, but preface. You should preface this as, is a Escape from Tarkov clone? Yeah, it it does have um, other game modes, okay. like a basically a, a basic you know free for all firefight and a basic um, um, team deathmatch. You know what I mean? And what what is what kind of genre is that main mode? Like, is, is there a name for that? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, Survival shooter, collector, yeah. battler, arena? I mean, yeah, a third, I guess you could specifically say a third person looter shooter. Um, but like I said, you can also, like, I, you probably more better off using aim down sights, but it is mostly, the majority of the game would be in third person. Um, but, as it is Escape from Tarkov, it's uh, nine people loading onto the same server with the uh, same amount of... Uh, the loot is basically um, there for everyone to grab. And you either decide to fight or you don't fight or you kill, you kill somebody, take their loot, or you grab some loot and safely exfil without seeing a person. So, I mean, that's the main game mode and I think that's what you're probably going to get most out of it. The overall goal of the game is to build your own um, hideout, basically. And it's like basically a, it's all starts stems from a hub world. So do playing any of these game modes, you would get a certain amount of experience and a certain amount of uh, loot items. So like TDM would get you mainly like experience and like gas cans and like nails and like all stuff, all elements that will help you build a bigger hideout. Um, same thing with a, the team death or the free for all death match is like you 
uh, get usage of all these all these different crazy weapons and more weapons that you would find in the main game mode, but use them and actually get proficient at killing people, which is probably what I did for the first four or five hours I was playing the game, was just playing these deathmatch type, type games to get good, kill people. Um, after that is when I really kind of went into the whole escape from Tarkov, you know, everyone loads onto the same server, you loot and you get out basically is how I've been playing it. Right. And you don't want to die while you're in there because you, if you die, you lose whatever you're carrying on you. Yeah. Basically every game you, you fill your loadout and then you go onto the server and on that server, it's basically you can. You can insure yourself or you you don't have to insure yourself. You can spend um, coin that's earned through the game. You could spend it on boosting the amount of loot you get, boosting the amount of the airdrops you get, basically in uh, trying to force yourself to have more loot or get more kills, basically. If you're, pay- if you're playing more aggressive, it's probably smarter to insure yourself. If you're playing less aggressive, it's probably better to boost the airdrops or boost the overall loot. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know if that kind of style is, is going to do anything for me because I, I don't like Battle Royales to begin with. And it's kind of a variant of a Battle Royale because you're not, there's no circle that's being collapsed. It's just one big map, but it's the loading in all at one time. Yeah. Going all, every man for himself. So, how it does work to like basically push people off the server is each server is basically timed. Mm-hmm. Where this, at Tarkov, I believe you can just keep running in and out. If you feel like it, I don't think Tarkov has a time limit, but each server, um, you, you'll see when you load on, you could like, there's three different maps to do that game mode. I think it's elimination is the game mode called, but yeah, there's three different maps and you see a timer at the bottom of each, each map. And if it, they, they refresh and they have like an hour span. Um, but you can join a match that's literally like, uh, like have 10, 15 minutes left. So you would j- go on there probably ensure your loadout and try to find the people that have all the loot that are trying to finish the game late because there's like multiple airdrops towards the end of each hour and the airdrops have better have basically hold cases that have higher value towards your shelter that you've made and you're playing this game on the switch on the switch yeah are you doing handheld mode uh yeah i'm doing handheld mode currently and so you're shooting with like the bumper of the joy con yeah, dude. All right. Well, we're we're broke boys. We don't have a pro <laughs> controller, dude. I get it. Yeah, that that feels bad, man. Like the bumper shooting like that. Joy Cons yeah. suck, though. That's that's the main. My... Yeah, Joy Cons are awful. Anyway, I think I've played enough games on the Switch now, so I I don't even notice how bad the Joy Cons are. Yeah, you're uh, conditioned, bro. Yeah, definitely conditioned by the man. But um, even past that, like with you with your pro controller and you're playing it on a big screen, um, I think as far as uh, settings go there's a lot there, the settings are very advanced and deep so even if I'm playing with a barrier of freaking disgusting joy cons I'm still able to get kills and move like a normal person and have that effectiveness while I'm playing alright bro what rating you give it oof I gave that a whole 80 the 8 zero, the great zero yeah the great zero I mean it's it's definitely a fun game and even if I have a round where I'm like, I don't see a person, but I just looted like crazy and I've, I've got a full bag and it's like, I'm, I'm getting out of here and the radiation's coming in and that's what happens like towards the end of the match. It's like, you'll slowly get eaten away by radiation. 
Um, so it just forces you to make an exit with your loot or keep fighting and possibly die and lose everything. But um, if I have a whole match where I just like don't see anybody and like get an airdrop and, you know, walk the whole map and get a ton of loot, like even that that final few minutes of me like pulling up the map and looking for my exit and, you know, it takes 10 seconds to exit. So you're like kind of like looking, is anyone chasing me? Has anyone been chasing me? I know they saw me get the airdrop. There's a lot of uh, that interesting, basically anxiety payoff that other games have, even though I didn't even see a soul. Yeah, man, I'm glad you like it. I think uh, I'm going to play more survival games in the future, but probably not of this kin. But Yeah, I mean, there's duos if you ever want to, you know, load on with me. <laughs> Yeah, man, super tempting. <laughs> Solid 80, dude. Solid 80. All right, man, in the board game world, uh, recently I've been eyeballing this game for uh, a couple months now. Uh, it's from a publisher known as Leader Games, which produced a game I really like named Root. So they use the same artist. Root has awesome art. It's about like woodland creatures. It's like a war game. They took the same artist that has that cutesy style and they adapted it in like a smaller, like tighter type card game. It's a deck builder. So you start off with your base deck of kids. I guess you should tell the name of it. The name of the game is Fort. And the premise is you are a, a kid, you know, age roughly 10 years old, building a fort with your friends. And nice. you're, you have cards that have different actions on them and you play one card per turn. And you can make it stronger by putting cards of similar suits. You have like fun little suits, you know, like in in normal fifty two card pickup, you got diamonds, hearts, uh, clubs, and spades. And there you then, go. Those are the four. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And in this game, you have six uh, suits, which are like squirt guns, shovels, um, and things of that nature. <laughs> uh, and so. You can make cards stronger by like stacking them together, etc. But the the cool thing about the game, or kind of like the catch of it, is all the cards that you don't play from your hand go into your yard. And then when it comes to another player's recruit phase, they can either choose to draw a card from the park, like to make their you have to make your deck stronger or keep adding to it, or you could choose a card from other people's yards. So basically, your friends that you don't play with can go help build someone else's fort. And so like that's kind of like a cool like actual premise of being a kid, you know, if you don't get played with with your friends, you make new friends. You know, you go over to someone else's fort that is going to play with you and is going to um, help you build their fort or whatever. So that's just the basic premise of this deck builder, but it's got a really cute style and if I think if you want to learn the actions and the symbols, you could easily play this game three or four players 45 minutes. You know, it can be an under an hour nice. type game, but just the uh barrier of entry of learning these symbols on each card and what your the actions are because you're only playing one card per turn so you're like oh i gotta make sure i know what this action means so that kind of barrier of entry can be a a tough for the first game but i think literally after one or two games you should know the the symbols but i find it a lot of fun i like deck builders a lot i like having a custom deck that feels different than the other players you're playing against and that you get to continue to strengthen them in ways that you want to strengthen them and you can kind of go for a strategy and that way, each game's a little bit different, kind of have a certain strategy, and it's the first person, really it's the most victory points in the game. And so you're just trying to figure out what's the best way for me to earn victory points. And there's lots of little choices you can make around your fort and how to strengthen it, put cards in your lookout, 
you can have to put one of the the resources of the game is pizza and toys. And nice. So you're trying to manage how many pizza and toys you have because you need to spend pizza and toys to upgrade your fort. So it's a lot of little cutesy type things. The art's awesome. It's just a really cool, really great, cheap uh, deck builder game for anybody that's looking into uh, that genre or just wants a card game. Love deck builders. Yeah, deck builders are really smart and they're a lot of fun. What'd you rate it? I rated it an 86 out of 100. Nice, dude. That's because I think it's a great game. Good art. Like I said, the points I would dock off are because of how complex some of the um, actions are for how simple a game it is. Some of the actions can look intimidating because they have certain things in parentheses, uh, meaning you do it first and then you do something afterwards. So it can look like um, a math equation. And because it can be a little intimidating just to look at those symbols. But once you get it, it's... still plays pretty easily yeah and it's not super deep that's why i'm not giving it into the 90s either you know it's not like i have it's like i can keep replaying it and get something new every time but it is a lot of fun and i'd heavily recommend it nice dude so we had a game night recently we did and there was a certain game there that you enjoyed yeah we cracked a few games but um i think specifically wavelength is what i wanted to play more of for sure okay and what's wavelength um wavelength you're basically um um, one person in this team, um, and you set the, I don't know how to explain it. There's a, there's a game piece basically, and it's a, uh, like a meter. Yeah. A meter and you set it to a random position and it's basically a score of how like one through what four through two. Yeah. You four points, three Being, points and two points is yeah. how many points your team can score. Yeah. But it's, so it's set randomly across this, uh, half meter and then you, the one person is the only person that gets to look where the points are. And that person also draws a card. And basically it's bas- uh, like a 180 degree of um, this two-sided card. So you, you'd have something like, um, is like a video game and not like a video game. So like that would be a card set. And then the points are somewhere on that 180 degree meter. And you're trying to get the rest of your team to guess as close as to the four point marker on that meter is right. So basically one person is that code master. They're giving a clue to help your team figure out on what end of the spectrum is that random four points that you want your team to get. So it like in this example, if it's all the way to not like a video game, if it's basically the furthest, we'll say left in this case on the 180 degree scale, then you want your team to get something. And so you'd give a clue of something that's not like a video game. So you you might say a shoe, you know, right? A shoe is not like a video game, you know. But then your team might be like, "Now wait a second. Now you can also like tie your shoe and as a game and, and kind of as a game. And like, there's a lot of different elements that are similar to video games. So they might like think it's a little bit towards a video game, but you're like, no, 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 you know. And you have to be silent as a codemaster, just like you would in code games. Yeah, and it, it, it's also more like you. We, we basically, you get a whole phrase for the code you're giving the rest of your team. I think that was a good part of it. Whereas other code games, it's kind of just like a, a word right. or something very specific. And it, you know, it might make you think more, but it also has um, the element of the code master can do something very broad right. and try to really narrow down like where the four point, four point marker is. And then I think the other part of the game is like we played with larger teams and that made it sway like really far. Whereas like if you're guessing towards three people, one person might be like, uh, 
maybe inch it this way, inch it that way, and you could lose a game or win a game from just that little inch from that third party in your team. Right, from that little like meter that you're clicking left and right. And that's kind of the most satisfying part is you're twisting that meter right. and you're trying to figure out where does this person think right, it is. Because it, it's shielded and the rest of the team obviously doesn't know exactly where the, the marker is. They're taking that guess. Right, so they're trying to figure out based off your clue where your codemaster is trying to lead you. So it's, it's, a, it's a give and pull of, of both yeah. sides. It absolutely wanted me to like, I, I just wanted to play more rounds basically. I wanted more, I wanted to see what more cards there were. Right. Cause there's a lot of really cool things like, um, the, the whole thing that makes the game good, I think are the opposite ends of the spectrum cards that kind of define what you're rotating on. And so one of my cards, for example, was uh light side of the force, dark side of the force. And so I had to determine now what's what's in the middle, you know, because that's where I ended up being. And I was like, well, what's something they share in common? I was thinking like force push, you know, and I was like, well, I, I don't know. Like, are they going to think that's more dark side? So I had to really get into my teammates heads before I gave my clue because I wanted them to get something that's in the middle of that, but leaning a little bit more toward the light side. Right. And then there's also like more broader ones where the Codemaster has more of a, a difficulty of giving the guess where it was like, hot or cold or wet wet and dry or you know rememberable non-remember like forgettable forgettable and memorable and like there you have like the option like i really have to be specific i really have to be specific like this is a like this is water it's as wet as it can be the four is right on the edge it's wet it's water was water wet water there was always like a thing like my music teacher would say I was like, oh, can I have, like, can I go get some, or he would sell water out of his classroom. Mm. Probably not, now that I think about it, that's probably not right that he's selling water, but whatever. He probably sold it for, like, more than he bought it for, obviously. Right, making some money. Right. And, I like, one time I just asked, like, oh, is it cold? You know what I mean? Is it cold water? He's like, I don't know. It's wet. I was like, that's a dirtbag answer, but now I, I can't not think about it anytime someone says water is wet. Yeah, because water isn't wet. It's water. Yeah. Well, because to be wet it means it's, it means it has a dry state. Dry state and water does not. So it is not wet. But I mean, but that's the thing. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah. Sounds like a dirtbag teacher. Yeah. He wasn't he wasn't great. But regardless, a wet or dry. Wet or dry, water. Where do you go on that? Yeah. I think I would probably go around an eighty. Oh, eighty. Yeah. It was a fun game. I'd want I just want to see more cards and I think with a different team and like different Codemasters, it would get more interesting as time goes on. Uh, there's actually an advanced section that we didn't play with that are very hard cards. Oh, nice. Um, one of the craziest ones I've ever read, and I still do not know how I would answer it. If it was in the middle. I if, had, you drew, if you drew that card. If I drew that card. Because it's double-sided cards, so you can kind of pick and choose. So I just would never choose this side. But on one end of the spectrum is Tick. On the other end of the spectrum is Talk. Mm. so i don't know what that means i don't know how i would get my team to guess extreme talk like i would just yeah. have to try to find like what what does talk even mean tick like tick maybe i'd be like um uh, scratch marks maybe then they'd be like oh those are ticks but like how would you do in the middle of tick and talk yeah i think i like as a code master i'd probably just try to think of like tick comes first talk comes second so i'd be like one or two and then try to guide my team somewhere in between one or two yeah no that's 
that's, that's in, impossible. That's impossible. That's so, impossible. So there's definitely some like wild cards out there for sure. But I'm glad you liked it, bro. It's it's definitely one of my favorite party games too. Did any uh, hard reading this month? Easy reading, bro. Easy reading. Yeah, I have had Alien Dead Orbit, um, a spinoff of the Alien franchise comic for a while. I've been looking at it for a long time, and Steph got it for me, I think, for Christmas, just because she knew it was on my Amazon wish list, and I've been meaning to read it. And I think I started it, but I just never finished it. So this month around, I wanted to finish it. It's kind of in a space-y mood. Um, And so I picked it up, finished the whole thing, and I loved it, A, for its beautiful art, as we do with every comic book, but B, for um, good, good writing and good expansion of the lore. Um, it's definitely closer to one of, I'd say, the best Alien movie, which is the first one. Alien is the best. A lot of people love Aliens. I found Aliens to be extremely hokey. and Which is the second one, right? The second one with and the they, Space Marines. Mm-hmm. And just there's, it really downgrades the threat of Xenomorphs, which is the Alien. So Yeah, when there's like hundreds of them and they're, hundreds, just, they're just throwing bullets at them. Right, when it's like, they're like ants. And you're just destroying them, and they just keep it's a high. Back. We gotta find the queen, right? Then you really are demeaning of what that value is that's established in the first alien. In the first alien, there's literally like I think one xenomorph, and then there becomes more after that. But one xenomorph is enough to take out like a whole crew, essentially. Yeah, and also that um, that first alien, you know, the like the guy's chest bursting open whether right. when they're all eating like is beyond iconic, right? Of like of like horror when you think everything's okay. And then it's like, Oh, this purely evil entity is about to kill this whole shit. Right. It's incredible. And alien dead orbit takes that and like the best moments of that first movie and really makes it its own with a new crew, new story. And definitely all takes place on a spaceship. And it's that kind of hopelessness of space that I love. And it really, really does a good job. And I'm a big fan of the franchise and I think this is probably the best expansion they've done to aliens in the past decade. Like even better than like Prometheus and wow. Uh, like it's it's just uh, really nice and, and concise. And the cool thing at the end of the graphic novel, it shows what the uh, original creator was going to do. Like it has all the pencils. He was going to do an actual aliens sequel essentially, and. He was going to have a bunch of space marines and stuff. And then he decided to zag all the way back to what the first style is of more of that horror thriller, more of that tension through the comic medium. And I'm really glad that he did zag back because it's it's brilliant. And I'm, I'm definitely a big fan. I, I'm i talking it up a lot um, because I gave it an 85 out of 100. I think it was really pretty smart. solid. It has a really gritty art style. Like it's totally unlike anything you've ever really wanted to look at. Because it's so like gruff, but it, it gets that mood and it gets such an atmosphere like a comic that nothing else really has for me. And I think it, it really is just great all around. Very nice, dude. So you picked up some reading? Definitely I did. Um, the best section of the comic book store is the uh, grab and go, you know, little $5 bangers and, you know, get a little five issue set. And so you got you got issues, yeah, definitely okay. like paperbacks, like just like oh, quick but collected, yeah, okay, quick little five of them. They're all you know sleeved together. Um, basically, what drew me to it first um, is the name Deathbed, and like um, 
Deathbed by Vertigo. Um, but yeah, the the cover specifically, it's like this duality. Like you see this um, older gentleman and he's climbing over like bodies of like mummies and zombies and stuff. And it's juxtaposed by the same uh, older men, but lying on his deathbed. Um, and that's kind of the first issue gives you just right on the cover. gives you basically the setting. Basically, basically, basically say basically too much, but it gives you the setting and it's, uh, this, uh, older adventurer type man, um, laying on his deathbed and he wants to write his, basically his memoir. So he commissions a, uh, autobiography writer. Does that make sense? Like someone to translate his life story. Um, later you find out that this adventurer man is super eccentric, basically. And basically, <laughs> did I get enough in there for you, dude? No, you do a few more times. No. Um, this writer shows up to his mansion and, you know, sees all his accolades and his treasures. And you get the sense that this guy lives multiple lives through himself and through his adventures. And you find him on his deathbed and she's kind of wondering, like, why I haven't heard of him or anything of that specific. And uh, you find out that he's not quite as dead as he first uh, appears to be um, because really it's just a cough and he jumps out of bed because he's surprise attacked by all these mummies and these ghouls in his own house and they end up burning down his house but he's like he still uh, is conveying to this writer that you're going we are going on our adventure we are going on my final adventure because of his slight cough you know what I mean he wanted to basically bait his enemies and kill all of his enemies because they would all think he's weak if he's on his deathbed. So then you go into, it's basically an adventure novel. And so it's like fantasy. It's, it's fantasy. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. And it, it, the other part is like the art is extremely violent and kind of raunchy, but also has the setting. It kind of looks like a adventure bros or something like a, a late night tune might show. Interesting. Yeah, but it's it's violent. There's some boobies, there's some penises, there's some blood. But uh, I wouldn't say this is a hard read. This is definitely an easier read as well. But it comes off very fun in the duality between the uh, adventurer guy and the um, like stoned writer basically is a great um, setting for his final adventure. Yeah, man, that sounds like a sick read. Yeah, very easy, very pretty. Um, just five issues, so it was like it was pretty quick. It was only like a maybe in forty five minutes of reading, but it was definitely satisfying. Yeah, I'm glad you keep finding uh, good stuff, just kind of at will. Yeah, just dumping my hand in the bag, and it, even if uh, I rate this an eighty, I would still give this to you or my brother or whoever. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, that's what this podcast is all about. You know, just finding new stuff, going outside your comfort zone, pushing the boundaries of what entertainment is, and ultimately discovering a little bit more about yourself and what you do like and what your interests are. Right, and just going for stuff that you typically wouldn't do. Right. And that's why I, I would encourage people to listen to every segment on this podcast, just because if it may not interest you one week, we might say something that might expand your horizons a little bit. Definitely uh, catch any podcast this month. Um, so one podcast specifically I want to highlight 
is one called 99 Questions. And this is from uh, one of my buds over at a community I'm a part of called the MinMax Community. And his name is Bob Buell. And he started his own podcast after watching, uh, I think it was Game Informer's Rapid Interviews, Rapid Question Interviews. So they would ask questions um, in a normal interview style, but then they would edit it in a way that it would just be a question and then an answer. And they'd be question, answer, question, answer, like really fast. And so it would be talking to game developers and it would be this kind of quick response style. So he came up with this idea of asking everybody he interviews the same 99 questions. So he's not custom tailoring it like they did to their game developers. He's giving broader questions and figuring out more about these people. So it's it's more about learning about the people that you care about. Are the guests privy to these 99 questions? The guests are not privy to these 99 questions unless they've listened to the show before, which okay. most of them haven't, I imagine. But he's actually getting a lot of bigger names in gaming and in um, podcast world. He, he Last episode, we talked about the Hey Riddle Riddle podcast. He interviewed um, two of the people that were on that show. Not in the same episode, but he has been growing connections. And I think he's a really good personality. He's got a really good speaking voice. And um, he's fun. He's fun to listen to. He's kind of, his voice is a little bit like goofy. And so it's like really easy to listen to. He's got that unique flavor. But specifically, I, again, I would like to highlight the episode that he had last month where his person he was interviewing dropped out. And instead of not releasing an episode, what he did is he went on chat roulette <laughs> and he asked the 99 questions to different people on chat roulette. And so this took a spin on his normal premise because... Normally, you want to learn more about the people because you care about them. Like, I haven't watched episodes for people that I don't know. Uh, I only watch episodes for people that I, I care about or want to learn more about. And I want to see how they say, you know, what's the perfect breakfast? That's one of his questions, you know. And I want to learn what's their perfect breakfast. And then what does that enable? Um, and, like, one of the questions is, you know, do you believe in ghosts? Or one of the questions is, uh, who's somebody that you don't talk to anymore but wish you did? You know, so there's some kind of realness and power to the questions, but they're universal. And so it's funny when you get on chat roulette and you start talking to these random people that thankfully I can't see because I, I don't know what they're wearing or what they've got going on. Right. But he's talking to these random people and asking them these questions. And so he's dressed up in like a suit and tie and he's like just flipping through people. And he, I mean, some people were like just totally down because they got chat roulette because they just want to chill. And they were totally down to probably go the whole 99 questions, but thankfully he limited those people to like 10. But mostly it's just like people taking bong riffs and like answering questions and whatnot. Nice. But it's a super funny premise after hearing previous episodes and then getting to that one of the, the chat roulette extravaganza and just hearing how like random people's answers are. And like some people that you, you're like, oh, these people are so dumb. And then they give you like a really like, <laughs> like what's a good book to read? And like somebody gives like some like Tchaikovsky or something like real like deep and you're like oh okay deep philosophy reads right i think uh one of his questions is what is the greatest piece of art of all time and uh, it was like a it was like a, i think it was like a group of three girls that are being loud and obnoxious you know typical charlotte and she's like what's that one from van gogh oh starry night and nice. I was, I was yeah. Like, yeah i mean yeah you know i mean that's a certainly a valid answer greatest mm, yeah sure yeah sure it's somebody's greatest somebody's yeah but i it, it was a really fun episode and i'd recommend listening to that one if there's no one on his podcast that he's interviewed, at least listen to that one because it's a very fun uh, execution of his 
premise of this podcast and he's doing a great job and I totally support Bob. Good job, dude. Good job, Bob. Good job, Bob. What'd you rate it? Uh, I would give, uh, it's a tough, it's a tough one to rate because it is the same questions every time, but it is new conversations, but I'm going to give it an 80 because I think it's great. But again, there is a library of people that you might not know. A library of people you may never know. And so it's like those ones just become instantly inaccessible to you. Unless you want to hear a random interview about a random person and then get into their works after that. Because you're like, oh, I like what they had. That's I mean, a that's, possibility. That's certainly a possibility. Um, but for the most part, you know, you're only watching for people you do know. And it is the same questions. But there are better follow-up questions depending on what, you know, these people's answers are. So, but I think it's great. I, I think you would like that chat roulette episode. Yeah, definitely. I'll check it out after I check out... Uh, dissect podcast <laughs> is that what it's called dissect yeah yeah i thought it was a dissect. I, I don't i have a trouble reading that word you know what i mean yeah, I, there's two s's yeah right? i always read it as dissect in my head the dissect podcast yeah but it's dissect right but and we've listened to the dissect podcast season two which is who's the artist frank ocean yeah, that was season two. And wait, go ahead and explain what the Dissect Podcast is. Yeah, so it's um, specifically a uh, music, set in music, basically. It's a, speci- it's a podcast specifically about music. And uh, um, it's kind of like a, a deep dive into long-form music in a podcast form. Right, so music theory almost. Yeah, definitely music theory and, you know, overall, like, breakdown of lyrics and breakdown of samples and breakdown of melodies right and each season he goes into a new artist and kind of breaks down their entire catalog episode by episode yeah or at least a a whole album so sure yeah i think it's probably one of the best uh musical podcasts you can listen to it's um very 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 informative and very very specific to you know whatever art artist so the artist that he does have on there currently is like Frank Ocean, Tyler Creator, Beyonce. Yeah, he has a season for Beyonce's Lemonade. Kendrick Lamar. Um, Kendrick Lamar's Damn. And then I'm probably forgetting one, but the one I'm currently listening to is uh, Childish Gambino's uh, Because of the Internet. And about halfway through the season, I think it's seven episodes in. Which is his best album. Yeah, definitely his best album, especially after this season. Like, you really understand how much um, work was put into that album. I need to listen to that. I love that album so much. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people love that album. It, it's it's interesting because I felt like I was a bigger fan of Childish Gambino than I really was. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, Before yeah. listening to the podcast. Oh, I'm so sure. Because there's, there's a lot of weird songs on that album that you forget about. There's some very interesting, interesting things about that album. And I think this season specifically showcases how good of a researcher and basically script writing and pulling all this information into small little, like, 45 minute episodes about a, a single song um because when i i think i i i didn't listen to the release of camp childish gambino's first album i think i just caught it second wind maybe yeah, i got a second wind as well like maybe a year after it came out right with nostalgia yeah exactly with nostalgia and, and so like that interests me into him first and then i ended up getting i bought the vinyl of because the internet after maybe six months after it came out, but I specifically bought the vinyl because it came with his screenplay that matches the, that coincides with the album. Hmm. 
So you read the screenplay and there's song cues in the screenplay and then you play the song and it matches the album. That's kind of wacky. I've never, I didn't know he had a screenplay. Yeah. So, and I think there's a, even a previous to that because the internet that goes with camp and it's called, or it's supposed to be post camp and it's like a short film called clapping for the wrong reasons. Hmm. And I think that one's on YouTube. Um, but because the internet, the only way you can previously, you could look at uh, the screenplay online and then play the album with it is the other way to look at it. But I just ended up buying the vinyl. Right. Um, and at that point I was like, Oh, this is, this is something very different in music when you're writing a screenplay and an album and that coincide with each other. So I was like, in my head, I was like, this is very, very different than anything I've ever seen before. Um, and then after that, the podcast goes into how it had the, because the internet also had art displays that came with it and Hmm. a whole internet page. And then later you find just the most interesting things of like secret songs in the album and secret meanings and very different things. And it, he kind of does that with every album Yeah, that's on the, uh, that's in his category. Every season, he breaks it down to the last letter to the last sample to the last melody. Yeah. No, this guy is, he knows music very well and he does his research. Yeah. And I think it's also different that it's a uh, scripted podcast and, you know, maybe his voice is a little, uh, what would you say? Monotone? Yeah, a little bit mon. He kind of talks like this. And yeah. he kind of gives it a delivery like this. Right. And you, you get a sense that it's scripted, but it also has just... It's scripted because it has a load of information right. every episode. Right. No, the dude is... He, he absolutely knows his stuff. And he wants to... I, I think he prides himself in being the most thorough music podcast that there is. Yeah, definitely. And it even plays parts of the albums. And it plays samples. And it plays legit melody recreations which is just insane to hear when you yeah when you break down like a whole song like that yeah and it has like spotify backing money that he can get interviews and stuff like that yeah and also you know license you know obviously big parts of songs and whole lyric lines and bars yeah and it's it's definitely very well produced absolutely spotify studios um overall i'd probably give it a 90 like i said this is one of the best musical podcasts you could listen to. It might not be the greatest for you. You might get bored out of it due to his monotone voice. But if you, if there's a artist on his, uh, in his, in his seasons that you like, probably definitely listen to it. It's, it, it's going to expand your knowledge of whatever album and whatever artist. 100%. Yeah. This is a perfect podcast for DRI as the big music nut that he is. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't listen to the Beyonce one, but all the other ones were thoroughly enjoyed. What was your rating on it? 90. 90. Yeah. Solid 90. I feel like that's the M piece of podcast. Yeah. Speaking of a music podcast, what kind of music besides podcast, what music did you listen to? Um, so you recommended me an album um, just in our, our group discord. And you're like, hey, man, you're going to like this. And I was like, okay. Um, the artist, his name is Duckworth. Um, I'm familiar with him. I've listened to some of his music, some of his stuff's on my playlist. Uh, his last album is a little heavy for my taste. I was yeah. like, I think it, it, before this album, his singles is what mostly popped through right. for me. 
and um, and, it, and it was just I'm a fan. I'm absolutely a fan, but not not that big into him. And then he sent me super good, and he's like, "Oh, you gotta listen to this. It'll be good." So I was like, "Okay, I'll give it a listen." So right from the first track, I'm hooked. I'm like, okay, this this is something different. Like this is not like his typical style of kind of you know he usually has heavier music. This stuff's a lot lighter, and it's a lot more up my alley of what I like of really smart rhythms, fun lyrics, um, and just meaningful music all all around. And this is this is a tough month for me because I also really liked Joji's Nectar, and we even bought merch of it because it's such a good album. But honestly, I have to talk about Super Good, and I want to share it with all of you listeners at home because it was so special. It was so different in the year 2020 when not a lot of people are making this kind of music that kind of has this funky, jazzier, hip-hop, R&B, combining all these different genres into one more or less rap album. It is so much more than rap, and it's so much better than I was ever expecting it was going to be. So I'm going to pause for... uh, 30 seconds of uh, a song from Super Good, and hopefully you enjoy. Up jump my heart, I'm caught in my feels. Hot open and patty, get better in them hills. I'm losing control, so G's take the grill. Cause baby ain't got no chill. At the end of the night, we relate. Two stars in line, cause it's our fate. Destined to shine, it's not too late. To pull on your wheels and skate. My world is on wheels, I can take you away. Welcome back. Thanks for that snippet, Holden. You're welcome. <laughs> that was World on Wheels by Duckworth. Super great album. I wanted to say that um, his previous mu- music, even though I I do really like it, and I, I think he's a great artist, this album is very different than what he makes before. Like, like you said, a very, even from song to song, it varies in different types of hip-hop and different types of melodies and there's even like i would say poppier songs with that don't have a rap verse on them for sure and have like bigger uh setting of a female vocals and so great yeah absolutely i love this song super good i love this song because it is a so difficult to make i mean he's obviously he knows what he's making he's making a roller skate song that's the world on wheels all the girls want to skate. He's talking about at a skate rink, you know, because that's a big part of his upbringing and community. And that's something that he wants to be able to play at a skate rink. And I feel like he nails that. Like, that'd be a perfect song to skate to. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a struggle for a lot of, like, hip-hop artists or rappers is to not only um, convey part of their culture or part of their upbringing or anything, convey anything through a song, but then also, like, just how dancey that song is oh, yeah. and how much it makes you want to move. Like there's not a lot of rap artists that can actually make a song and make you want to feel like that without serious collaboration from another effort. You know what I mean? Right. No, super funky track, super enjoyable. And the great thing about it is this song is kind of in a vacuum. The other stuff on the album doesn't sound exactly like this. It is its own unique piece. Each song on the album has its own flavor and brings its own power to the table. And it makes a really, really special album. And it's definitely one that 
in the year 2020 where I can't stop talking about all the good new music we're having. Like, yes, it's a crap year, but for video games and music, it has been a really awesome year. And I, I'm at this point in the year, I'm not thinking, oh, a, a new album might come in that might break my top three of the year. But this one seriously might break my top three of 2020. Like it's that good in, in this amazing renaissance of a year of hip hop and R&B that we're having. Yeah, uh, I'd probably say it's, this month is very hard to pick an album. Um, what you rate? Super good. I'm. I don't know if I've been expressing it enough through my exuberance, but I'm literally going to give it a 97 out of 100. I think it is a five star album, perfect for me. Everything that I want out of this kind of rap hip hop album, and tons of R&B, tons of funk, a lot of jazzy bass lines, just everything that's right up my alley as far as like ear tuning, and then his beautiful silky voice over it with the help of female vocals just makes for something really special out of the left park that I was never expecting. And I really enjoyed it more than I was ever thought I would could no hype towards it. Also think helped towards this. How much you enjoyed it. Right. Cause I had no expectations. And then I was just like, wow, I've literally listened to this album like maybe five times in the past. What yeah. you told me about it like three weeks ago. Yeah. What music landscape have you been journeying across? So like we were saying, this is very hard month with Joji, um, action Bronson, 21 Savage, YG, having pretty big releases. Um, but for whatever reason, in the first week of, I guess, the three-week break we take, um, this album stuck out to me like the biggest thorn in front of all those other great albums. This one, for some reason, I kept on repeat, like you said, probably like five times this month. Um, but it is The Art of Living by Serene Poems and New Self. New, new Self. New Self. Yeah. Um, and this is an R&B album? This is a pretty traditional hip-hop album. Okay. Um, but I think what drew me to playing this over and over again is its overall just message of positivity. And it's uh, it's such... I don't know if you've ever listened to Atmosphere before. Of course. Huge Atmosphere. I love Slug. Exactly. So it, it, it definitely follows that same sort of line, but it's released in this year of 2020. Okay. Which is... That style of hip-hop, I feel like, is kind of buried by a lot of the heavier, darker, harder rap that's out nowadays and been released in the past few years. This just has that supremely positive feeling through every song and through each line. And Right, so it's, it's, it, is it pretty big on lyrical? Because I know Atmosphere is huge into like kind of telling stories yeah. through the lyrics of, of yeah. each there's, verse. There's, there's definitely a few songs that open up with just like a spoken word or him rapping over just a drum beat or just a piano melody. So you do get a lot of sense of he's a very good rapper and, a, or at least the majority of the albums are opened by uh, serene poems. I think he takes the real head of this album, but it is a joint album and they're both just crazy good lyricists and just talk your ear off through their verses and make you feel good and build you up. All right, dude, let's give a quick 30 second listen. Lord willing, 
I'm just a man with the microphone striking poems for my sanity in the mirror. Trying not to get caught up in vanity. Who looking over me, seeking the things that I can't see? Ain't nobody ever gonna spot a booger on me. Ready, set, go on three. Watched over by Trinity. Trapped in the matrix, battling for my soul to be free. Is it? Can it be? Simple as elementary to be black. Live long and die naturally. Get back to me. Actually, you ain't never got to answer me. They sing it all. So, welcome back. That was Lord Willing. Serene Poems, and New Self. I really like the aggressive lyricism, and that is probably what is the akin to the, the rap group atmosphere, is it's a lot of very powerful, almost spoken word. And while I was listening to that, I was thinking of, uh, I was in a college course that went over a lot of different poetry, and there's a guy named Mums De Schemer, and his whole entire way that he represents himself on stage when he's doing slam poetry is he kind of almost creates characters in his poetry. He'll create like louder highs of amplitudes and lower lows, and he'll kind of talk in voices, but it's all stuff that's really powerful to him. And he kind of has a similar voice to what we just heard, um, except obviously more range than that kind of flat line almost. But of a flow of a rap. Yes, of a flow of a rap. It wouldn't work well in rap, obviously. Slam poetry is very different. But in that track, it, I definitely felt the passion and the the powerful uh, lyricism that was shining through. And I think that's something that's really special and, and you're right, doesn't really exist in 2020. Yeah. Um, I think another part of the, a big part of the album is like, he's a very, they're, I guess they're both faith-based rappers. Oh, cool. And you, you get the sense of that through their lyricism. There's a few words in there that were um, based in the church or at least church experience. Um, but yeah, it never comes off too cheesy or like, pushing anything onto anybody it's just them rapping about their their faith and their experience through life and then the other part is a lot of their songs feel like this i don't know why i just explain it like this but like the album covers blue so i feel like there's a lot of crashing so it's like it opened up with this hard hard like loud trumpet and then you hear his voice come in and the trumpet dies and then it's just voice and then the the next crash of a wave is the the drums come in and they're just kind of slappy and they're really um, played with like a jazz speed and then he's still rapping and then his rapping grows and the drums grow and then boom, it crashes back to the, uh, the really kind of flowy crash water waves of the, the hook of the song with again, the trumpet bringing back in. Yeah. I, I really like that. That's something I got to listen to on my own. Yeah, for sure, dude. What rating did you give it, bro? Um, I think we're going for probably around a 86. It's a, it's a high recommend. It's not going to be, I don't think this will crack your, it might crack your top 10, at least your top 20 of this year. Yeah, for sure. I think it'll crack my top 10 this year. It's been a yeah. stacked year, but that sounds really nice. Yeah. It, and like I said, it's like, it, it's very akin to that early two thousands, like atmosphere vibe right. of, and it's like, I don't know. It gives me the sense of a happier time. Yeah. A more positive time, at least. Yeah, it definitely has weird nostalgic feels for a song that's so new. Yeah, like 2020, probably, I think it released like last month, something like that. Wild. All right, Dear Eyes Hard Network out is in like five minutes, so we're going to make this waste cap happen. I know we said this episode was going to be shorter, but uh, it's only going to be shorter by a little bit. Uh, we're doing, we're getting better. We're, we're making it happen. I think hopefully the content will be good. Anyways, waste cap. Um, at the end of last month's episode i made you play a board game uh, that i talked about kern 
What Kern. did you think of Kern, the two-player abstract strategy board game? Um, abstract strategy is definitely there. I mean, you have the four pieces and they... Four pieces, right? You start off with three, but you can add more. Oh, you know. Up to five. Up to five. I'm right in the sweet spot. Yep. But yeah, it's definitely uh, one of those... You, It's... Once you understand it, um, you get going. Like, it's right. immediately addicting once you understand it. I think the first round you beat me... And I was kind of like, uh, how'd you beat me? Sort of kind of like situation. Right. Or like, I just didn't know exactly what was going on. Because you kind of like I explained in the podcast, you weren't, your eyes weren't open yet. You couldn't see what your possibilities yeah. were. And also there's a, there's a few different ways you can win. Right. So it's like when you, when one surprises you, a victory surprises you, you're like, dang. But then second round, was it? A stalemate, or that was no. it the one that the I second round is you did a really good job at bringing all your pieces forward and kind of trapping my pieces. Yeah, it's, it was just kind of like a lock where I had um, just you would spawn and couldn't really do much from there. Right, he had a really smart defensive game plan that I wasn't able to really advance on, and even using the megalith to my advantage, he was able to crash down on me, and it was uh, it was I think you did really well there, like learning quickly in the second game we played. Yeah, like that's where, yeah. potential. Because in in the first game it was it was like that where either my my piece would die or it would be taken out or something would happen to it and I would basically keep starting from the starting line, whereas in this I just try to move as smartly as possible to the end uh, to his spawn and try to just keep him there and keep him shut down basically where he couldn't he didn't have a lot of options from his starting line. What was your rating of the bro? Um, yeah, I definitely want to play it again. It's in eighty two, eighty three. Like, it, I want to see more, I just want to unfold more strategies for myself that were like that, because that was super satisfying. Right. And it's a that chess-like simulation of, of abstract strategy, it's cool. I'm, I'm a big fan of those chess-like games that keep on getting bigger and wider and do more interesting things. Yeah, and like movement changing, monoliths change, it's very interesting. Uh, for me, my waste cap, uh, last pod, you mentioned a game called Among Us, which right now is in its cultural renaissance because it did come out in 2018 and now it's making its resurgence. I played it twice, once with some closer friends and then once last night with some not-so-close friends. Did you do a public lobby? Um, no. Both, both times, private lobbies? Both were private. So first private one was with, uh, I think, six people, six or seven, and we had one um, imposter. And uh, That's tough. That's tough, man. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was definitely tough to be the one, uh, but I had a lot of fun just convincing people um, about what I was or wasn't doing. And then also like just framing other people. My strategy was to keep it real, like monotone and be like, okay, seriously, dude, that was on you, you know, even though it was on me. So it, it's, it's, it's a social deduction game, right? So you're using those uh, capabilities and I like the social aspect of it, but the actual in-game stuff was where it, it lost me. You got to do tasks that are like small little mini games and some of them are just nonsensical. I'm playing on my phone, not on a computer. And, uh, it just, it was, it's really lame to empty out the trash. Yeah. I think you made the Jackbox game comparison, right? We also played a Jackbox game called push the button, which I think is a much better version of among us, but it also is more tight knit as you're all working together in the same space rather than virtually in among us. So yeah, that has the aspect of being more interesting outside of, you know, throwing somebody off the ship. Whereas, you know, Among Us, it, it definitely is lacking. There's, um, you know, there's only so many 
tasks you can do and a lot of them are repeat right or like you know you fix the wires three times it's kind of a boring task right and then in the second scenario uh where i played last night i kind of saw people like uh where were you what were you doing and it's like well i can prove that i'm not it because i can do a visual task and it's like well now now we're getting ways of proving that you're not the imposter by doing visual tasks and it's like there's like then you have to turn visual tasks off and there's just a lot of like small things and small lines that yeah so i would say um definitely create your lobby with uh some sort of guide or something like that a very specific way you want to play because like you said the visual task and then also i would say six six players with one imposter is uh, is hard to win as the imposter yeah because you know one person finds you out that's you know five people against you right an easier lobby is probably just like 10 and 2 yeah i played 8 and 2 and 8 and 2 last yeah. night and that's, into is cool. Yeah. And that's the other thing is like you have a partner, someone that's always going to try to vouch for you. Right. Or you can like throw them under the bus and then try to skate under the radars after that. Right. Like, oh, I, I threw that guy out and he was the imposter. Right. What'd you rate it? I would give that one a 70. I'd say it's scraping the good line. Like it's scraping the good line. Because it, it wasn't like a 68 or 69 because that's like, that's like fun, but not quite good. I actually think the game is good. I just think push the button is so much better like a I better give, ver- there I, is a better version there's a better version and i say push a button's like an 86 and not everybody likes push the button as you saw with our group mm-hmm. but it's, it's just way better made on testing who is and who isn't and just a lot more fun of a social aspect than saying everyone's in the same room together typically right. playing a jackbox game right and, in, and among us it's like you're where, just muting in and out of a discord where were you where, yeah. where were you no i was there I yeah. was there. You weren't there. Check the logs, dude. I hit that scanner. I was there. You know, and that's that's the, basically the social aspect of it. I'm, is, I'm AFK an event, bro. What happened? Yeah. But it, it, I had fun. And I'm willing to play it again, but I think I would just rather play push the button if I could. Even if it is remote. Because you can play push the button remote mm-hmm. from a, a Discord chat or whatever, you know. But, all right. Well, that's it for the month of Spooktober 2020. Um, spooky, spooky. Hopefully, each episode is getting better. That is our goal with this podcast. Um, better, tighter, stronger, better, faster. I don't know the lyrics. That, that's I think that's it. It's strong, better, stronger, faster. We're big Kanye fans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was the Kanye voice? I'm playing Yoshi. <laughs> I'm a god. All right. Well, thank you for listening to How to Waste Your Time. And if you made it this far, you made it further than D-Rag because he didn't know that we had an outro music. Whoa. Have you seriously not heard the outro music yet? I think, I mean, I I listen to the podcast in sections. No. So like I'll play this section, I'll play that section. So I, when it comes to the end now, I'm like, okay, there's no more information for me. Right. And I, I don't judge the last 15, 15 seconds of the pod, you know, last two minutes of so the what, podcast. So what, you just skip it? Yeah, this I know what happened. I was here, I was here. Okay. I don't need this information anymore. I want I want the meat. I want to revisit the meat and see what I can do better. Well, uh, if you've made it this far, you've made it further than co-host Dri ever has. And mm-hmm. have fun enjoying this nice jazzy outro. Bye. <laughs>